0: us by any chance you may not know how we roll here at center point so let me just take a minute and explain that to you see as i said earlier we truly believe that god has given us his word and this is god's not just directive to us it's not just a list of rules and those kind of things but it is it is god's means of communicating his character and our relationship with him to us and so, what we do here at Centerpoint is we gather together weekly, as we've already said, we open up God's word, and we do it in a special way. We, we take books of the Bible, and we work through them, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph, chapter by chapter, through the whole book, to try to understand what the message is that God has given us. See, it, it, my desire as the main preacher here on Sunday morning is that I would not set the agenda for our topic, but that God would. And so months ago, months ago, it was God's plan and sort of laid out for us as we think through what we're going to be talking about. It was God's plan that this morning we would be at the end of Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to talk today about a topic that Scripture has pointed us to. And the beauty of this, the, the the great comfort for me is that I know that God's Spirit is intending to speak to your heart about the topic for today. Now we've been walking through Ephesians chapter 4. We started out at verse 1 in the beginning of the summer. We called this the, the summer of Ephesians 4. The masterpiece life that God intends for us to have. We saw in the very beginning, if you open up your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, you can see some of these these expressions. Clear back in the first verse of chapter 4, we're challenged to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. And so we see that that what God is is really doing here is he's challenging us in our walk with the Lord. And by, by walking with the Lord, what we literally mean is our everyday life. So what God is doing here is he's now getting into our business and he's going to deal with the everyday aspects of our life. And it's a challenge for us to walk in a manner worthy of what Christ has done. And we saw that, that what this meant, as we, as we walked through this together, we, we saw that what this manner would, of life would look like, that it would be encouraged by other people, by people gifted of the Lord and placed in our lives in the church. And so we would gather together, as Ephesians 4, 12 through 16 talks about here, and, and pastors would be brought before us, equipped by the Lord to equip us to live out what he's called us for. And so there's a, as we continue through Ephesians chapter 4, we, we saw him challenging us to not live like the rest of the world around us. That because we are new creatures having God's spirit in us, our lives should be different. We shouldn't walk as the Gentiles do, as those that are, that are outside of Christ. Our life should be dramatically different people should look at our lives and they should say, there's something weird about that guy. There's something different about her. They don't act like the rest of us. And that difference is the presence of God's spirit in our life. We saw this, that we're not walking as the Gentiles do. And in verse 25, you can see how this looks like. What is this differentness? Is it how we dress or the clothes that we wear or how we do our hair or the shoes? No, it's not those things. It's the words that come out of our mouth. It's the attitude of our heart. It's who we depend upon to meet our needs. So we don't lie and we don't steal. And we we don't rage in our anger. We don't have bitterness and hatred in our heart. As a matter of fact... We're forgiving people. The topic today is forgiveness. That's what we come to today. Forgiveness. Now, forgiveness is tough for some of us. It's, it's a challenge to forgive. I heard a counselor one time say that if you were to go into the, the treatment centers that, that counselors work in, if you could just convince People that they have been forgiven. The vast number of issues that people are dealing with would be taken away. Because so many of us, we don't experience the forgiveness that God intends for us to have. We don't, we don't feel that forgiveness before the Lord. And so consequently, we aren't able to live out the forgiveness with others. Forgiveness is is a real challenge. And I want to tell you about a guy who had to walk the road of forgiveness. His name is Phil. Very involved in the leadership of a local church. It wasn't our church, okay? You don't know him. But he was very involved in the leadership of this church and heard people come up front, like me, okay? Come up front and talk about forgiveness. And talk about that we need to forgive other people. Forgive other people just the same way that God in Christ has forgiven us, we should forgive one another. Now Phil was a leader at the church. He believed in forgiveness. He believed that he had been forgiven by God through Christ and he thought in his life he was living out that forgiveness. But how many of you know that often when we think we're doing okay, God brings something in our lives that challenges us and we realize, you know what? I'm not there yet. God still needs to conform me. This happened to Phil. See, it was a different, it wasn't our church. It was honestly a different culture. And in this culture, they had slaves. They practiced slavery in this culture. And Phil who really went by Philemon, owned a slave. The slave's name was Onesimus. You can read about it in your Bible, okay? It's only 28 verses, I think. 25, thank you, brother. Yeah, I appreciate that. 25 verses. Philemon was a church leader. He came to Christ. And a man that he owned a bondservant of Philemon, stole money from him and ran off a thousand miles away to Rome. And in Rome, he met a man. You know his name. His name is Paul. And Paul, the apostle Paul, the one who wrote the book of Ephesians now, led Onesimus To Christ, the runaway slave, the thief on the run, he led him to Jesus. And Onesimus, a thief, Onesimus, a sinner, Onesimus, one who ran away, was forgiven in Christ. Have you been forgiven today? Let me tell you, when the burden of the guilt of your sin is taken away through Christ, it is a wonderful moment. It is, it is an awesome moment to experience. It's a wonderful moment to watch. And this happened to Onesimus. And as you read in the book of Philemon, Paul tells him, tells him to do something that was shocking to Onesimus. You know what he told him to do? You know what the apostle Paul told Onesimus to do? He said, I want you to go back. I want you to go back to Philemon. I want you to go back And when you go, I want you to carry this letter with you. And Paul handed him the letter of Philemon, written to Philemon. And as you read the book of Philemon, you see what Paul is telling this slave owner to do. He's telling the slave owner Philemon that standing before you is Onesimus. He stole from you. But I want you to forgive him. I want you to forgive him. Forgiveness is a very difficult thing to do. In that story, we have Philemon being called to forgive Onesimus. In that story, we have Onesimus being called to forgive Philemon. Folks, we wrong one another all the time. You are going to wrong me and I'm going to wrong you. We wrong one another all the time. It was the same thing is true today. It was true in the biblical times. People wrong each other. Husbands wrong wives. Parents wrong children. Children wrong parents. Friends wrong friends. Churches wrong people. But we are called to forgive. How is that possible? How is it possible to forgive? Go with me to the book of Ephesians. If you haven't already turned there, go to Ephesians chapter 4. And I just want to jump in here, at verse number 31. And I'm going to read through the first verse of chapter 5. Because in my opinion, it shouldn't have been broken up where it was. I think five, one is really part of the fourth chapter. You know this was just a letter when Paul wrote it. It didn't have verse numbers and chapter references. Those were added hundreds of years later just so we could be more more organized in our study of it. And so I want you to see the the flowing thought of God's spirit as he inspired these words that Paul wrote down. Look at verse number 31 of chapter 4. Paul writes as God's spirit led him. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, Be imitators of God as beloved children. Now, here's the the Reader's Digest version, the 30-second version of what I have to say to us today. We are to forgive others as God has forgiven us through Christ. That's really the theme of today. But I want us to understand, it's very important that we understand exactly what the Spirit of God is calling us to in that verse. Look at it with me again and slow down your reading. We are to forgive one another as God in Christ forgave you. Think about what this means. Let's think about what it doesn't mean first. Is this telling me that what I'm supposed to do when you wrong me is I'm supposed to find a cross somewhere and get somebody to nail me to a cross so I can die for that sin? No, of course not. So what is the passage saying? We are to forgive others As God, in Christ, forgave you. You see, if we don't understand exactly what this phraseology means, this makes forgiveness impossible. You need to understand exactly what the phrases of this verse are telling you to do. The model for your forgiveness of other people who wrong you isn't Jesus. You look at this and stay with me. The model for you and how you are to forgive others is God. How does God forgive us? How does God, how does God the Father forgive you of your sin? Now I know we're, We're jumping into a territory that is theologically difficult. We're jumping into the Trinity here, okay? And I know that's a challenge, but stay with me. The model for how you are to forgive other people is how God the Father has forgiven you in Christ. How does he do that? How does God the Father forgive you in Christ? He looks to Jesus. God the Father looks at Jesus at the cross, what he did, and forgives you. So when people wrong you, here's the summary of what, here's the point of what Ephesians 4, 32 is telling you. When people wrong you, because they're gonna, when low wrongs you, because he's gonna, we're all sinners It happens. You know where you're supposed to look? The same place God does. The same place God does. When I sin against God, God looks to the Son at the cross and he says, forgiven. Forgiven. So today what I want to do what I want to do is I want to slow us down for the the last message that we're going to really have in Ephesians chapter four. This is it for our summer of Ephesians four. I want to slow us way, way down. And I want us to understand as best as we can in the next 30 minutes, understand how does God forgive us? And my real driving point here is I want us to forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven you. You ready to go on this journey with me? You're going to need your Bible, okay? You're going to need your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible with you, you can run back in the room and get one. You can probably find one on your phone, okay? You ought to bring one with you, okay? Because we're going to go on a journey today. Okay, the, the topic really, the theological title for what I want to talk to you about today is a word that you probably never use in theological circles, okay? Because only theologians use these kind of words, and most of us aren't theologians. The word is justification, okay? I'll put it up on the screen. It's on your worship notes, okay, on... And one, two, three, we're all going to say it together so we get over the hump of not knowing exactly what this word is. The word is justification, and when I do one, two, three, we're all going to say it together, okay? The word is justification. Ready? One, two, three. Justification. Justification. We're going to try to understand what that means. Now, some people, they, they give a very, very slender definition. And if this helps you, you can write it down, okay? And it's this. It's that God treats us just as if we never sinned. That's what justification, that's a, that's a way you can remember kind of a shortcut version of what justification is. And that's fine. God treats us just as if we never sinned. I mean, that is, a, that is the idea of what justification is. But I want us to understand it at a deeper level than that. I want us to understand it at a deeper level than that because scripture teaches us more about it than that. How does God treat us just as if we never sinned? I, 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 with what right does God treat us just as if we, ever, we never sinned? And, and how can I know within my gut? That God is treating me just as if I never sinned. Do I need to add to this idea that God is treating me just as if I've never sinned? Or is it a complete act that God has done? These are great questions you're asking. I'm impressed with your questions. They're really, really good, okay? Let's see if we can understand them. First of all, I want to give you a theological definition of justification, okay? It's up on the screen. I hope you can read it. It's a little bit small. Here's what it says though. Justification is this. Bear with me, okay? I promise you I'm not going to use words like this all day, but I want you to see this is how a theologian would define it. It is, justification is the divine forensic act of God based on the work of Christ upon the cross whereby a sinner is pronounced righteous by the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. That's what you have. Some of you are laughing at me. That's the definition. I don't use those words either very often, but that's the definition of what justification is. My goal is that you will understand this before you leave here today, and I think you will. I think you will. In order to get there, we're going to... We're going we're to leave Ephesians 4 for a moment, and we could go a whole host of Scripture passages. I gave them to you on your worship notes. I encourage you to read them this week. Okay, Spend some time looking at that Romans 3 passage and 1 Peter 3 passage and, and Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 8. I don't know how many I listed. I forget now. I don't have my worship notes. you have to just trust me. It's there. Find it. Spend some time this week. Understanding what this divine forensic act of God is, whereby God has said about you, God has proclaimed and declared it to be true of you who are in Christ, that you have the righteousness of Christ. It has been given to you who are in Jesus. It is a finished act, a divine act, like an eclipse. Going across a sun was a divine act of God. You can't argue with it. Justification, in my mind, is even greater than that. We see a hurricane spinning around down here in Texas, and we're like, oh, the creation is incredible. No, the creator is incredible. But greater than the nature, greater than what we see that that science can observe is this act. Where God has made the judicial decision. This is, a, this, is a, this is the word of a judicial court. Where God has looked at you. A sinner in all your sinfulness. Philemon the slave owner. To Onesimus the thief. Both of them. Once in Christ God looks at them and declares them righteous. Does not give them the means to earn it? Doesn't say if you follow these rules, I'll give it to you someday." Doesn't give a formula for how to be a good boy. He looks at Onesimus, the thief. He looks at Philemon, the slave owner. He looks at Lo. He looks at you and says, "Because of your faith. In my son Jesus, because you have put your faith, only your faith in him, I declare you righteous. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Turn back a couple pages. Same author, same author, same concept. forgiveness. But what Paul does in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, what he's going to do now is he's going to, in 2 Corinthians 5, he's going to develop this theme a little bit more. He said we are to forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven us. Paul wrote that. But in 2 Corinthians 5, he expands on that. He expands on that so we can understand it. Okay, It's like he's clicked the button, the icon, and boom, there we have 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is what it means that God, through Christ, has forgiven us. So we're taking a little diversion here to understand what the Spirit of God wants us to understand about forgiveness. Let's read it. And verse number 18 is where I'm going to start reading, okay? Follow along with me if you have your Bible. Otherwise, listen, really good. This is what it says. All this is from God. And if you look at the all this, it's the fact that we are new creatures. Behold, all things are new. Remember, we used that passage on the first day of the summer when we started in Ephesians 4. This is where we started because we're new creatures. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Verse 21. For our sake, He made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, that is how God forgave you. This is a clear explanation of how you are forgiven, how you are justified. This is, this is God communicating to us what he did to bring us forgiveness. And the first thing I want us to see is it, is it flows out of the very character of God. This idea that God has forgiven us flows out of the very character of God. And look what it says in verse number 18. All this is from God. Let's talk about God for just a minute, okay? Let's talk about him for just a little bit. Now, God has revealed a great deal about himself in the Bible. We call these his attributes or his characteristics or his perfections. God has revealed a great deal of truth about him to us. God is omnipresent. God is omnipotent. God is omniscient. God is truth. God is holy. All these things that we know about God. But there are two that I want to kind of camp on to understand what it means that God has forgiven us. The first one is this, that God is just. God is just. What this means is that God is righteous. It means that he is one of integrity. That he must always do what is right. God has no option to do wrong. God must always do what is right. So because of God's just character, now listen to this. Because of his righteousness, because the very character of God is justice, is righteous, is always truth. What this means is that the, the very character of God was such that he could have looked at all of human creation. You, in all of your, in all of your splendor, in all of your goodness, and all, I mean, you're just a wonderful individual. And God could have said, I damn you to hell. See, humankind has a problem. God is just. He is righteous. And he said that we are to be holy as he is holy. And we ain't. So God's justice, God's righteousness, could have placed him at, the, at his throne, looking at it, all of creation. You, as wonderful as you are, you're an awesome person. You help ladies across the street. You carry groceries for people. You return your cart to Walmart. You're a great person. But you're not holy. And so God's character, his nature, his justice sends all of humankind to hell. And the angels around him, the angels around him There at his throne. You know what they would have done? When he threw us all into hell? That it went, (laughs) You are just, God. You are just. People can't violate you. You are righteous. Yea, God, you are just. That's what the angels would have done. But praise God, that's not all. Of his character. God is also loving. He's loving. Now that doesn't mean that he really, really likes you. That's not what that means. Okay? Loving doesn't mean he really, really thinks you're cool. He likes the way you look. You know, you do your hair really neat. That's not what it means. It means this. That God's nature, God's way, God's, God's character was. That he will sacrifice for the good of the one whom he loves. So John 3.16 said this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish. But they will have eternal life. So see in the very character of God. We've got. He's completely just, and he's completely loving. So, so how are we going to do this? How can God be just and loving at the same time? How can he do this? See, pause for a minute. I'll get back up there in just a second. I'm telling you, people don't understand forgiveness of God. They don't understand it, and it robs you. It robs you of, what, of the love that God wants you to have. Because people think that God forgives the way that you do. People think that God forgives the way that you do. You see, if I wrong you, if I steal from you, or I bust in the headlights on your car or something, okay? And you see it, you're like, man, that's stinking low. He busted the headlights in my car again. What's wrong with me? I don't know. But he did it again. And you, because you're a pretty cool guy, you know, you're pretty forgiving. You're like, well, pff, jerk, low. I can buy another one. I forgive you, low. See, that's how you and I forgive. It's not even forgiveness, really. We, we, we just choose to look over it. I, I, I say sometimes, some people view the forgiveness of God almost like God is a giant eraser, okay? Like a giant, think about a giant pencil, Huge. I'm holding it now, okay? Giant eraser on the end. And God sees your sin and he's like, nah, I, I kind of like that kid, you know, so. There, I erased it, okay? You can thank me later. Oh, look at her. Look what she did. Just like Lowell, she busted out a headlight. Um, Erases the sin. Here's the problem with that. See what it does is it takes you, it takes you, Puts you at the very center of all the universe, including God. And God says, I like you. So I erase, I erase your sin. It's not what he does. That's not the plan of God. That's not the plan of God. No, go back to our passage. Verse 18. This is all from the very character of God. Who through Christ has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, now let's go on to verse 19. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. See the work of God. See that this is all God. It's a divine act. Remember our definition of justification? It's on the bottom of your worship notes. It's a divine act. A divine forensic act. It is all God. You add nothing to this. There's no you and God working together, so now you're justified. No, 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 no. It is all mono God, all God. There's no synergy between you and God where he's working with you so that you'll then be forgiven. That's not the plan. It's all from God. He is doing this. Well, what is he doing? What is he doing? Let's look at the plan of God. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, he didn't count your trespasses against them. Now, if the Bible if the passage ended there, we'd have a problem. How does a just God not count your sins against you? Remember what it meant to be justice? Remember what it meant to be to be just, that is? You have to always do what's right. So how can God just not count your sins against you? He can't do that. It goes against his very character. He is a just God. So he can't just say, eh, we'll forget about it. That's against the very character of God. That would make God a liar. If God just said, eh, we'll forget about it. He's a liar. He's not just. So there has to be more to this. Keep going. Jump down with me all the way to verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Folks, this is the plan of God. This is how God, through Christ, has forgiven you. We call it the imputation. That's a weird word, okay? The imputation of sin onto Christ. And the imputation of Christ's righteousness upon us. Now let me help you with that word imputation. Alright? What it means is to, to basically, I've got a definition here for you. Let me read it to you. It means setting to someone's account. Reckoning something to another person. It's an accounting term. Okay? It's an accounting term. In the Greek, it's an accounting term. Setting to someone's account, reckoning something to another person. So let me give you an illustration. Suppose I have a lawn mower. No, I'm sorry. Suppose my son has a lawn mowing business. Okay? It's a good idea. Alright? My son has a lawn mowing business and he he's he's got a contract and he mows, you know, 30, 30 different lawns. It's all week, you know, he's riding around all summer, you know, with this trailer behind the Jeep, and he gets out and he mows your grass, okay, and, and the next, he goes to somebody else's property, just all week, all week, all week. But one week, he wakes up, and what do you know? He's got the stomach flu. It can happen even this early, okay? And he says, Dad, oh, I won't act out completely all he's doing, but he says, Dad, I can't mow. I can't mow the grass. And dad says, Don't worry, son, I got it. So I go out and get in the Jeep. And I drive to this lawn and that lawn and that lawn. And I mow the grass. I do all the mowing. Well, you, we're mowing for you. You've contracted with us, actually, he's mowing for you. You've contracted with him. You walk out, you look at your lawn, you're like, Sweet. But he was here. He mowed. I'll write him a check, put it in the mail. You mail it off. Okay. In my little scenario, who gets paid? The son. Who did the work? Me, man. I did. I did the work. And imputed to him was the work of mowing. Imputed to him. He didn't do anything. But I I gave him the credit. I gave him the credit for the work done. This is the plan of God. Go back to it now. Verse 18. He's not counting their trespasses against them. But verse 21 tells us how. For our sake, he made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin. God, through a judicial, divine, forensic act, placed upon his son, Jesus, the sin of lo and you in all of humankind. He placed onto Jesus' sin, who knew no sin. And Jesus died for that sin. This is how God forgave that sin this is how he did not count that trespass against us because the trespasses were imputed to christ and so when jesus died as our substitute imputed upon him was the sin of the world and he died there and he died a wicked death History and tradition, affirms, that they nailed him to a cross, and he hung there for several hours. and the world grew dark. And Jesus gave up his spirit and died. And the curtain that separated man. From God. The curtain there in the temple of God that represented the barrier between man and God ripped in two from top to bottom. It fell open because the trespasses of God's children had been imputed on Christ, and when he died, the penalty had been paid. This is how God, through Christ, has forgiven us. That is the plan of God. Hear how 1 Peter says it in chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. This is the gospel. This is what it means that God has forgiven us. But it doesn't end there. That's the wonder of what God's plan is. Look what God has provided. He didn't just take away the trespasses. There's more provided by God. It's in verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. In your mind. He made him to be sin who knew no sin. I want you to think about what is that theological word. Don't say it out loud. Okay, he made him who knew no sin to be sin. What is that? Are you thinking imputation? Because you're right, you're right. He imputed onto Jesus our sin. But watch, watch and wonder. Watch and stand with me in just a few minutes in amazement of what God has done. Imputation isn't over, folks. Folks it's not over. Verse 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Imputation. Imputation coming back the other way. You see it there? He imputed on Christ's sin And then when Jesus rose from the grave, victorious over death, 1 Peter, verse 3, 18, God imputed onto his children righteousness. Justification. That's it. He has now placed upon us righteousness. So now when when you come before God and the accuser may come before God and say, "I look at him. Look at him. When you or Satan accuse you, oh, look at me, God, look at me. God says, what are you talking about? What are you, all I see is the righteousness of Christ imputed on your behalf. This is how we've been forgiven. This is it. It's a forensic That means court of law. That means criminal. This is a declaration by a judge. It's a divine forensic act of God. Whereby, I don't have it memorized. Whereby, based on the work of Christ upon the cross, whereby a sinner is pronounced righteous by the imputation of the righteousness of Christ. Praise God. Now we can go back to Ephesians 4. And now we can understand what Paul is saying. Ephesians 4. Verse 32. Look what it says. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God, as His beloved children. So when wronged, because it's going to happen, right? It's going to happen. People are going to wrong you. You're going to wrong other people. The call here that the Spirit of God has for us, when wronged, do like your dad. Do like your dad, God, who though our sin was great, though our most righteous acts are nothing better than filthy rags. God, when we wrong him, looks to Christ and says, that has been handled. That trespass has been dealt with. That sin has been imputed upon Christ. So I will do likewise and forgive one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for what you do, did, and are doing to continue to bring us forgiveness. Lord, we, on our own, so far from you, so sinful against you, your justice called for our eternal death. But your love drove your son to act on our behalf. And we receive what you have done by grace today. We are amazed, Lord. So we stand before you as your righteous children. Not on our works lest anyone should boast. But we stand before you, righteous Lord. And we sing your praises because you alone are worthy. Amen.